Hello and welcome to Thank You Come Again. This is an e-commerce podcast sponsored by Wonderment, where we dive into the actual strategies that leading D2C brands are using to not only make their customers come back and buy again, but have the best possible customer experiences. I'm Blake and Burl. I started my career as a retention marketer, and now I'm focused on being a shepherd of knowledge for you and others on all things retention marketing. You won't find any top 10 guru guides here. Instead, I want you to walk away from each episode with battle-tested and actionable insights that's going to help you to move a needle forward and driving repeat business. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Thank You, Come Again. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Will Nitza, the founder and CEO of the consumer packaged goods company, IQ Bar. We're going to be talking about Will's journey in CPG, the IQ Bar story, how to approach customer retention in the CPG category, and then hopefully offer some advice to current and aspiring CPG or just D2C founders along the way. But first, who is Will Nitsa, and can you share a little bit about the journey of IQ Bar? Sure. Yeah, so I live in Boston with my wife. Uh, from New Jersey originally, been in Boston for about 10 years and the journey of IQ bar. So out, right out of college, I worked in uh, B2B SaaS software and did not love it. Um, knew I didn't want to do it for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And I got really into nutrition. I also had studied, uh, psychology and neuroscience as an undergrad. So I was interested in the brain as well. And, um, just became fascinated with this intersection of nutrition and cognition and how the things we eat impact the way we think um, today. And then also the things we eat over 30, 40, 50 years, how does that impact how our brain evolves over time too? And so, yeah, about 2016, 2017, I became obsessed with this concept of brain food and couldn't understand why it didn't exist. And I always wanted to do my own thing too. So, um, basically that I, a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll just try my hand at making brain food. And, uh, that kicked off a wild and wacky now five-year journey. Man, that's, um, that's a great kind of journey. I think to be led on, I'm actually did some consulting for a local company here in San Diego that makes kind of similar, uh, brain food focused, uh, you know, offerings and really kind of went down this research rabbit hole myself. Um, so I, I've definitely done a lot of research on on brain based foods, what's good, what's not. Um, so when I learned about IQ bar the other month, it was super cool to see a product super focused on this, but also really kind of making um, an awesome offering like for on the go people or people just want something that has all those ingredients in one bar. And I actually, so Will, I've, I've seen you on LinkedIn for quite some time. Uh, your content's awesome. Love following your story, but I've never tried IQ bar before. Um, so I went to Sprouts this weekend and actually went and picked up a few IQ bars. Um, I've got the almond butter chip right here and then the lemon blueberry. So uh, while we're having, this, we're having this conversation, I think I'm going to open one up. But I wanted to ask you, uh, of these two, which one would Will go for? That's a great question. Uh, go for the lemon. You like lemon? Lemon's good. It's, uh, yeah. it's a nice, it's like afternoon, kind of a little bit lighter, maybe on the, yeah. on the palate. I like it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna dive into this as we have a conversation. I love the packaging too. Super great, super clean. 
I will say too, this was almost empty on the shelf. I had to go to two sprouts to find this. So you uh, got quite the popular product here in San Diego, it seems like. That's awesome. Yeah. Sprouts is one of our better retailers. Awesome retailer. Yeah. Very cool. I always love going to Sprouts. A lot of the companies that we work with at Wonder Mint are in Sprouts. I'm always there looking at what's new, what's on the shelves. Um, but before we dive into the conversation, Will, um, I wanted to just do a little bit of rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit more, let our audience get to know you a little bit more. Um, so unrelated a little bit to, to CPG and DTC, um, but just kind of to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, my first question is, what CPG brand do you look up to or maybe derive the most inspiration from? Hmm. It's a good one. I'm obsessed with uh, D2C brand. I mean, Chomps is, is, has recency in my mind because I just listened to their How I Built This. And um, I've chatted back and forth with Pete Maldonado, uh, one of the guys who started it. Mm-hmm. I, I love businesses that achieved epic scale, but also were profitable. Like it's so rare. Um, There's not that many of these cases of brands that scaled really quickly and had really, really, really sound fundamentals from day one and, and carried that through even as they, as they saw explosive growth. So that's, I've always been impressed with that one. Um, Athletic greens is a similar one where I think, I think they bootstrapped it for like 10 years and, um, the one skew very, you know, factor there is just epic. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, sort of cliche answers, but those are two of them. Those are great. Um, Chomps is a cu- customer we work with at Wonderment, but I um, had Zoe, their uh, CX leader on the pod the, uh, the other month. And yeah, they're a great brand. Love what they're doing. Um, but being any company that's bootstrapped, that's killing it, uh, has you know lean financials. I love to, to take a lot of inspiration from them as well. So great, great two companies right there. Um, best musician of all time. Best musician of all time. Wow. I, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I'm also from New Jersey, so I kind of have to be. So I'll go with him. Have you been to Asbury Park before? I haven't. Okay. No, I haven't been either. I'm just curious. The Jersey connection, but great, great answer. Bruce is uh, one of my favorites as well. Um, okay. So you're accepting an award for entrepreneur of a year. What song are you walking out to? Oh man. That's a, tr- that's a tricky one. I'll go with, um, I'll go with the final countdown just Ooh. cause it's really dramatic. That's a good one. I like that. Nice, nice suspense build up. By the way, this is fantastic. I um, can't believe I've not had this before in my life. So I'm gonna be going back to Sprouts after this to get some. These are, these are really good. Nice. Um, nice. So if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, of course, to get a message out to everyone in the world, what would that message be and why? Um. Man, these, these are these are good ones. Um, I would say do more. <laughs> do more. That's it. That's all I got. Love it. That's a good entrepreneurial answer. I love it. Um, okay, last question before we get into the meat of the conversation. Um, best recent purchase of something under a hundred dollars. Hmm. I got this frother recently. It's kind of a game changer. It's like What's a frother, the- but also it mixes like sachet powder products really well. Uh, kind of 
dual functionality with coffee and and like hydration products and stuff like that. It's I really like purchases where you use it literally every day. Totally. Um, so that's one of them. Nice. Sounds like a, a level up on uh, my uh, barbaric way of just using a fork or a spoon to, to well, that I do that too, but it's after a while, it's just you put it in and you press the button. I mean, it's it's so much better. It's like 10x better than stirring it. Man, I'll have to uh, I'll have the message you for the for the the recommendation about that because I I do stir a lot of things and uh, it sounds like a much more even way to do it, but I'm sure also a more efficient way. And I I think too, yeah, something that you use every day is a better purchase than something that uh, you know you put in the the shelf and use like once every you know couple of months. So that's cool, man. Um, okay, well. I think on that note, then uh, to dive into the meat of the conversation, I wanted to chat with you about it really is just around retention and CPG and sort of one of my first kind of questions for you is the intersection of retail and D2C. As I've talked to more and more um, CPG, you know, brands, there's sort of been this interesting view, I think that kind of two camps, I think people sit in is like um, retail and D2C sort of being separate channels, but having, you know, distinct goals within each of them. And I'm curious if you view them as separate or um, if the goals of maybe retail and D2C are um, similar when you think about acquisition and retention, like how do you sort of view that intersection of, of those two channels? Yeah, I mean, they are literally different, uh, but the goals are all the same. I mean, the goals are all the same. If, if you're selling a product, the goals are the same no matter what. And no matter where you're selling it, you want to acquire customers cheaper and you want to retain them longer and you want them to be happy while you're retaining them. Like those goals never change. So you might have better ability to contact people if you have their email address than if they went to Sprouts and bought your product. Um, you might have a wildly different uh, unit economics profile for that customer. You might have a very different retention profile. But the goals are always the same. Um, I think it's it's a it's a flywheel. Like you, well, someone told me this, and I never for I'll never forget it about brick and mortar, which is like we pay so many dollars for Facebook ads and Google AdWords and things like that, but we don't even really think about the fact that when we're on a shelf, that's an ad. Like there's thousands of people passing that shelf. And they're looking at your ad, which is your mm -hmm. physical carton of products or whatever your form factor is. And that's worth something, right? Those are impressions. Those are real impressions. In fact, they might, they're might they very likely worth more than a digital impression. Totally. So a lot of these things that are digital have a, very, have a relatively close analog in the physical world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say like the we what's cool about doing like post-purchase surveys and things like that is you often just learn in in you learn about the flywheel more and more people say hey i saw you at sam's club or i bought you at sprouts or i bought you on qvc or whatever um and then in turn people buy you online who then come across you in sprouts pick you up there too um so i think it's a virtuous cycle and and Another thing too is like your LTV is always bigger than you might think, you know, on online because those some percentage of those people are buying your products in store if you have good distribution. So 
I've always been pro Omni Channel from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, we have we started e-commerce first, and still to this day are majority e-commerce. But we're also in about eight thousand doors, and um, I would say most of our growth, like revenue dollars growth, will come from brick and mortar, um, such that we'll be roughly 50-50. And I I really like that that balance. I'd like to get even further into food service too. Mm. Um, you know, especially because if you're in like offices and stuff like that, I mean, the amount of volume you're moving in, again, impression, 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 impression um, is incredible. So it's the same way I think about products, by the way. Like I want to be able to hook you in like six different ways with my product. And I think that that same principle applies to channel strategy and, and go to market strategy. I want to be able to hook you, you know, in three, four or five different ways. Today's episode of the Tech Podcast is brought to you by Wonderman, the CX platform that powers Shopify's best CPG brands. Brands like Feastables, Boxu, Ourobora, and Kettle and Fire use Wonderman to improve repeat customer sales, reduce shipping support tickets, and even minimize the negative impact of things that are unique to CPG like food spoilage, damage items, and so much more. Whether you are looking to improve your customer experience, your retention marketing, or both, Wonderman will turn your post-purchase shipping experiences into a channel that helps you to bring customers back to buy again and again. Not a CPG brand, but so interested in what Wonderman can do for you? No worries. Wonderman works with over 1,000 of Shopify's best brands across every vertical. So as long as you ship goods or care about the delivery experience for your customers, which if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you do, Wonderman is a good fit for you. Tech of Podcast listeners can receive a free trial of Wonderment by visiting wonderment.com forward slash demo and let them know that Blake sent you. And now back to the show. I love that uh, that take on the impressions. I've, I've never actually heard someone describe that before, but it makes total sense, man. I think, you know, you're in the store, you're viewing these products. You, if you don't buy them on your first view, like you come back to that Sprouts, that Whole Foods, whatever you're at, um, you know, that's really real estate for you to advertise a brand and think about it that way too. I was... Um, I was just talking to Jay Carls from Midday Squares uh, just a little bit ago, and we were doing an episode, and he was talking about um, with Midday Squares, you know, they're like 75%, uh, you know, brick and mortar, 25% D2C, but you're talking about more of a healthy mix there too. That's a really interesting kind of, um, you know, sort of thing with with Midday Squares. They were saying um, they view D2C as like the retention and content channel, um, and then retail is sort of like the, you know, more discovery vessel if you will and kind of getting folks in the door um do you, do you kind of view d2c in, in retail in that way at all or do you think that they both kind of do the full flywheel effect no i don't i i think they are what they are i mean you're gonna have content on your website and on amazon because it's a website and amazon and you're gonna sell your product for some price and your gross margins are going to be at some percentage and your net margins going to be another percentage. And the same is true with, with brick and mortar. And then one of those two will be more financially advantageous, right? They're going to have, we'll have a higher net margin. And so from a purely financial standpoint, you're more incentivized to push harder into that area. For sure. Um, I think a lot of people have found that that brick and mortar is a higher has been a higher net margin area 
than D certainly than D to C it, but even in most cases more so than, than Amazon. So I guess by virtue of the fact that it's, it can be more profitable, you can view your digital business as like a way to drive content and brand recognition and all those things that then downstream they buy in your in stores and that's where you're realizing strong net margin at the end of the day it's like the ultimate trickle down but you could also have a strong gross margin online and and the inverse could be true sure. um you know butcher box i don't think sells in any any stores um right so their whole game is is online so I just think it just depends on, you know, business fundamentals. What's the, but then there's also, there's other variables too, right? So, you know, with brick and mortar is kind of a weird thing. There are review cycles and they happen once a year or twice a year. And, you know, there's, and maybe you can cut in here and there. And often you have to make a special pack for that retailer, for that channel. And then online is like, you put up a couple thumbnails and you start selling. Exactly. Like tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Um, so the velocity of actions you take is, is like way greater online. But then like the volume in brick and mortar can be way greater. So it's they're just radically different. I, different. I don't think I think I think really have to think about who am I as a, I mean, ultimately it comes down to like margin, gross margin and net margin. And hmm. for you as a company how do you get the best blended gross and net margin? What mix is, is the right amount? And I guess it depends too on time, right? Like 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, like it actually wasn't all that much about gross margin and net margin. It was about revenue period. Revenue, so, exactly. so like actually everything I just said didn't, matter nearly as much it was like how do i get the most revenue and and of course you know those were the the, the golden days of dc because people are just like i said well on, online you can go get tons of customers and you can get them way faster than you can get them through brick, and, brick mortar. and mortar right um it just costs more so it's like it also depends what what era are you in and what are you working backwards from and what are you optimizing Totally. Uh, it makes total sense, Matt. I uh, this was more so curious, I guess, for your take, but it makes it makes sense too. You know, it depends on every business. Um, I think other CPG brands I've spoken with, um, you know, they they run the gambit, but I think also, yeah, where we are right now in 2023 is a different ballgame than it was four or five years ago or so. So totally changes. And I'm curious, like you mentioned that you started D2C. And so as you started to grow the IQ bar business, how did you focus on growing customer retention and like what sort of steps were you taking to take a first time customer all the way through, you know, coming back three, four or five times, et cetera. Like what, what sort of went into sort of creating those loyal customers, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. We're actually D2C is our smallest channel um, because Amazon then brick and mortar, then D to C. Okay. So it's, it's always been, and it's always been the smallest um, other than right when we started, like very quickly, Amazon became much, much larger. I think largely because of the category we play in, mm -hmm. but you know, 
I wouldn't say we do anything super innovative. Like we don't have a community on Facebook of 50,000 people. And, um, you know, we try to do the basics well, which is email and SMS flows that are good and um, offers that are compelling. And of course, like the number one best way to retain people is have a good product. Product, right. Um, and so always, and so iterating on that and refining that and trying to get as close to perfection as, as possible there. Um, one thing we, we haven't done a ton of, but we are going to do this year is more LTOs, like more limited mm, time offers. offers. Right. And just like to spruce things up and keep things fresh and interesting and have some scarcity and, and things like that. Um, but I, I would say if I were to pick like one thing, it would be try and optimize for subscriptions. Um, we have products that are conducive to that. And so, you know, a subscriber obviously is worth more than a one-time buyer. And, you know, the lifetime value of a subscriber is just much better. So, so how do we get the average person to have a higher percentage of becoming a subscriber and just all the things that, that entails, um, having a compelling offer, um, you know, having pack sizes that are conducive to that, having really good subscriber portals, um, you know, it's defaulting to subscription at the same time is not, sorry. I was just some of the more optimization stuff there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that'd be like the number one thing of how do we retain people and, and increase LTV. Um, is how do we get more people to subscribe? Totally. And, um, you know, on that subscription note too, you mentioned like LTOs, limited time offers. Um, is that something you're thinking about, like in the subscription offering that you would let folks like swap in, swap out? Like, is it more, you doesn't, don't really know yet. I'm, I'm sort of curious. Cause like, uh, I was talking to Aura Bora, um, a while back and part of their subscription offering is like having those LTOs kind of run through and letting folks take in, take out. So I'm curious if like, you've thought kind of through that or any, any sort of thoughts like on, um, making the subscription offering, continuing to kind of have like perks and benefits for, for the customers. We've thought about it. I, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how a lot of these companies do so many LTOs. I fundamentally don't, I don't know. <laughs> right? lot, every, yeah. every time we're producing stuff, we're making hundreds of thousands of units. Of units, right. <laughs> so it's like, it's just, and then like so much work goes into creating new offerings and we're a super small team. Like we're six office employees. Mm -hmm. So, and we're just hard charging with the SKUs we have. Right. So we're already, we're always like weighing, you know, all the effort that goes into making an LTO, marketing an LTO, selling an LTO, or the risks involved and all that versus what if we put all that energy into getting incremental more sales with, with SKUs we have because we're already operationally, you know, streamlined for, for those SKUs. So that, that's always like the calculus. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't know if there's any one like perfect answer. I think mm -hmm. there are brands that do a ton of LTOs and there are brands that do zero LTOs and both can succeed. Exactly, I think we're yeah. probably trying to stay, be somewhere in the middle. We haven't done that 
to answer your question more directly in the past, I think we'll, we will look at it this year. We're also doing, we're rolling out a new product line. So we, so we started with bars that we layered on hydration mixes mm -hmm. called IQ mix. And then we're coming out with a product called IQ Joe, which is a instant coffee product. And, um, that is sort of an, it's not an LTO cause it'll be a permanent product, but, um, it's like fresh, right. And it's, mm -hmm. there's all these cool, like upselling and cross-selling opportunities when, when you have three different play in three different categories by the, and by the way, they're, they're not, they're super like non-cannibalizing. Like you could consume coffee, hydration and a bar all in the same day. Sure. And that's like not redundant whatsoever. It's totally complimentary. So there's just a lot of cool stuff I think we'll be able to do with like office packs, for example, like, um, and I've, I've been thinking about using LinkedIn for this actually, Interesting. Which, is, which is basically like, how do you, because like an office's lifetime value is going to be way bigger oh, than huge. consumers and your velocity is going to be way higher because the employees aren't paying for it because it's an amenity. So your average order value is higher, your frequency is higher, and your lifetime value is way higher. Of course, the the challenging part is getting these accounts. But um, but when we have like bars, hydration, coffee, like you can just do cool stuff that, that other brands with one form factor and one product line can't do. Totally. And I think um, that's an interesting vertical, actually, that I haven't really thought of. But I mean, your products would obviously crush i feel like in an office setting you know brain performance you know being fighting the fatigue you know mid midday crash all these different things obviously like a lot of customers to win over there uh without giving away too much of your trade secrets on that i don't know if you flesh out the plan much but um are you thinking like cold outreach to offices or anything you can share around kind of how you're going to prospect in um happy not to talk about that if that's more trade secret stuff but i'm, I'm just kind of curious more than anything i don't know <laughs> it was an idea i had like I don't know, a month ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably cold outreach. Um, I think there's interesting, I think like LinkedIn is an interesting platform for that. Um, it's kind of a crappy platform for many things, but for that specifically, it's a great platform. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's just like tr more traditional, like food service distributors, distributors that, sell into whatever big tech companies break rooms or big financial institutions break rooms in Manhattan and yada yada like that 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 too but going direct is is better so I haven't flushed out I have a couple ideas um I do think cold outreach is going to be really big there's another um opportunity I think for small wholesale what I call small wholesale which is you know, cafes, gyms, whatever. And I think we can actually have a really interesting offering for them too, right? Like a gym, you might want bars, but you might also want hydration. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, or a cafe, you might not want, same same deal. You might, you probably don't want coffee because you sell coffee, but you might not want those other two. So um, similar deal. There, There's some interesting things you can do on cold outreach through, Instagram, for instance. Um, and then there's flows you can set up such that you can, 
in a fairly automated way, get samples out, follow up and, and get accounts signed up. Um, it's, it's tricky. Like the, these, with these things, we operate on a revenue or an effort, effort in revenue out model. Mm-hmm. Like everything we do, we're like, how much effort in, how much revenue out? Mm-hmm. And if something isn't really attractive, we don't do it. Like if we could spend all our time getting a region of Costco, let's say, and that would be, and if we got it, that would be more, that would be three times more revenue with that same amount of effort of us going and scouting all these cafes, then we're going to do the former, not the latter. Sure. Um, so that's just the one caveat is like every one of these things, like, you know, you have to quickly audit, like, is this a good energy and revenue out ratio for us? And what's the opportunity cost? And then either proceed or pivot. Totally. I think, you know, you mentioned team of six, you know, obviously um, one of the things that I, I'm just fascinated with, and um, I was talking to Eric Van Holds of Beard Brand about this and like, there's a million things to do and in, in any retail D2C brand. Um, and suddenly, if you fall victim to doing everything, you're suddenly tripping over a quarter to pick up a dime, for example. I think that's like the expression he's used and sort of like the cost benefit analysis. You have to get really good at being able to suss that out. Um, and there's so many things that obviously you can do, but where do you spend your time? It's going to yield the most result, like you kind of mentioned there. Um, something I thought of, too, is you were mentioning that um, a lot of CPG brands that, that um, I'm seeing really push subscriptions is actually through like the order tracking page like when someone purchases the first time being able to show like hey like up, upgraded the subscription ltos different things there too so just some food for thought um to think about maybe as you guys are thinking about your subscription offering the transactional channel has actually been really great for a lot of the brands that i've been talking with um as well totally totally yeah it's we should get better in that regard probably yeah, happy to happy to send you some examples of other folks that I've talked with offline. Um, but to keep things moving along too, um, you, you, one of the things I think with IQ Bar, obviously there's a lot of benefits that come from eating these, you know, from solving different things as well. And I'd imagine education is probably um, something that you guys try to focus on uh, with like D2C, for example. Um, are there sort of any things that are like cornerstones to that educational experience um, for IQ Bar customers? Like, are you... Is content super important to the brand strategy? I'm just sort of curious, like how you feel about sort of that kind of distribution. Yeah, you're right. Education is important. I think education is very expensive. And so this is one thing we learned pretty early on, which is we have to be able to win on variables that are not esoteric. And so like, things like brain nutrients are esoteric and not mass market by their very nature. Mm -hmm. And things like 12 grams of plant protein and one gram of sugar and three grams of net carb carbs are not esoteric and they are mass marketable. And so there's this concept of basically meet people where they are and then innovate 10% or, or then introduce some interesting wrinkle that differentiates you and makes you kind of interesting or funky or different. But first, the order of operations there is is extremely important. First, you have to 
pique their interest, meet them where they are, get them enticed, and then add in a subtly esoteric element, which is your, which is why you're different. At least this is true, and certainly in the bar space, um, mm -hmm. but I think it's true everywhere. So I think a lot of people make a mistake of, you know, trying to be too different and then really hammer. And then they say, well, I'm going to have to educate people. And then they end up spending 10 million bucks trying to educate. Them. Um, I have a very different approach. I, I think save the 10 million, uh, you know, more, meet people where they are and then sort of like upsell them uh, in the 11th hour on, you know, why, why you're different or be, be what they already buy plus hmm. and it's like, Hey, you know how you're already buying uh you know, 12 grams protein bar. Well, like we're that and we do all the things that that does. Plus we do this. Like, Oh, it's, it's additive. Like, yeah, no brainer. That's a lot of great food for thought. No pun intended. Just to take away, I think from that, uh, you know, just like a lot of times, like if you're trying to reinvent the wheel, takes a lot of time to your point. It's a lot of money, I'm sure. Um, but be able to kind of like level set and have something that's mass marketable. Um, I think some of the brands that are really doing well right now that I've spoken with and just seen observationally are really doubling down on that. So that's a great take um, that you, you view on that. And I'm curious, like, has how you approached customer retention, like, and you mentioned the D2C channel being the smaller of the three that you're kind of focused on, but has how you've approached D2C retention changed from the start of IQ bar to where you're at here in 2023. Um, sort of curious how that evolution has kind of evolved maybe. Yes. Actually, my, my wife runs our uh, e-commerce business, every like Amazon website, et cetera. Um, so she would be a better person to answer that. But yes, it has. Um, again, I think it's the same principles I said earlier, like how do we, it's, it's the same stuff everyone's interested in. How do you re reduce CAC and increase sure. LTV? And we've just found that, oh, and, you know, and increase uh, AOV would be the, the third big one. And which of course feeds into LTV, but, um, you know, creating, like, I'll give you one example, creating a, a custom master case bundle for us was like a game changer um we underestimated how much people were willing to buy at a time mm. you know we were like what people, are, people aren't going to buy 72 bars at a time and if you incentivize them to they they will um and then same, same with like you know subscribing people aren't going to subscribe on the first purchase you know, when they've never tried this product, like, and of course they do. And so we've just leaned into like the basics, honestly, more and more over time. And we've tried to be more scientific about it and looking at what offerings and price points and website optimizations and email and SMS flows are the most successful for achieving those three things lower cac higher aov higher ltv for sure yeah it's the those fundamentals again and again keep coming up but um it's interesting to see kind of yeah i mean you sometimes like maybe conventionalism or what your gut says hey someone might not want to buy 72 bars but actually they might you know people shop at costco buy in bulk already or even like subscription offerings too um makes total sense 
Um, as we transition, uh, I wanted to kind of go into one final segment, offering a little bit more advice to maybe aspiring or current founders. I think you've offered a lot already during this conversation, but um, I wanted to ask you, what bad recommendations do you maybe hear others in the CPG or D2C arena making to others? Like uh, maybe it's LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever kind of medium, but I'm just curious, any, any thoughts around that? Hmm. I think it's weird because like sometimes a bad piece of advice would have been good three years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think like the best piece, there's a lot of bad advice around fundraising. If I were to pick one area where like the most bad advice exists, it's, it's there. Um, I think, well, here's another one that randomly popped into my head. Oftentimes people say that you should have a co-founder or co-founders. I actually think you shouldn't. Mm, um, I think based on the the game we're playing or I'm playing and other people are playing is how do you build up a business that can self-sustain itself faster than you dilute yourself into losing control of your business? That's mm. the game we're all playing. And it's a very hard game to win. For one, it becomes 2x harder uh, if you have co-founders. Other stuff becomes 2x easier, but that specifically becomes 2x harder. Not to mention you have to have multiple salaries at some point pretty early on in the life cycle. So it sucks way more at first. But once you get past the, if you can get past the first or second leg of the journey, well, you have... 50% 50% of your business to work with to dilute yourself down to, and you still call the shots, right? So that's, that's just one random thing. And then now getting into like actually financing your business, we, we, you know, CPG is a capitally intensive business. You have to make tangible things and put them on tangible trucks and those t- trucks use tangible gas and blah, blah, blah. It's very expensive and was extremely cha- chaotic and volatile um, in the last couple of years and things got really expensive. There's like a triple whammy. It was like input costs went up, iOS 14.5 raised CAC and then labor costs all went up. It was like, you're getting hit from every angle. So an already difficult and capitally expensive business model got worse in like every way. So you're going to need money. And, and even if you didn't, another piece of advice that, I even like sort of bought into uh, early on was this idea of bootstrapping and, and all that. And mm. that's not the answer either. I don't think the answer is to go raise tons of money bucks. Sure. And I don't think the answer is to bootstrap at some point. Your time matters. I think employees value their time dramatically too little. Like they should mm. value their time more. Right. So you might say, well, I'm going to bootstrap and, you know, yeah, it's going to take me 20 years, but like I'll own the whole thing. It's like, well, yeah, but that just took 20 years of your prime. You could have done like three things in that and you're choosing to do one. What if the one doesn't work out? Right. Like, totally. Um, so you have to value your time and you want to move at a pace that A, you can handle, but also like B, will create large enterprise value. And so you need money 
And so anyway, long story short, like the model I, I think is best personally is like raise from angels as long as you possibly can be as capitally efficient as you can. The number one way to do that, in my opinion, is have a really, really low SGNA and be really focused on a few channels because then you don't have to hire for the 15 other things you're going to do. Again, energy and revenue out. Um, and then get enough scale and burn, you know, what to, such that you can raise more higher valuations. My move is always raise less more often. It's not, a lot of people would say that's not the best move. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It worked, worked for us, but um, it's minimally dilutive is what it is. So if you can pull it off, but, um, but yeah, and then eventually you're going to need to raise money from institutional partners. Do that. Be really, really careful about the partners you select. We have great partners in Circle Up and, and Lotus. Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, we still control our business. Mm -hmm. Still control our business. So that for me is always like the North Star. And the word, what I always cringe when I hear advice around like losing control of your baby, you know? Like there was, yeah, I won't mention it, but the <laughs> high profile, right? Ouster and um, yeah, this is very top of mind, right? Like you, your company can be taken at any moment if if it's takeable. Totally. Um, so. Yeah, that's, um, that's really great advice on the fundraising side of things. And like, I think what you said too around, yeah, you could, bootstrap this and if you're successful and it takes 20 years uh, you know and that's the prime of your working years and your you know your creative ideas and such um, versus you could do you know maybe three two three of those ideas or even just learn more um, but anyone who's thinking about that I would maybe re, re replay that back because I think you dropped a lot of really good advice um, for people to think about and it definitely depends I think you know on your comfortability as well you know there's I guess I've learned too, there's no hard and fast rule, but it's always great to just have differing opinions there. So I, I appreciate um, the insight into that. And one of my last questions for you, Will, is um, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made at IQ Bar? It could be an investment of money, time, energy, combination of, I'm just sort of curious about that. Hmm. Well, I, I, my mind immediately went to, I wrote a post about this the other day about like generalist, like generalist pluses, mm. um, finding and developing skills within your team such that people can do multiple things that are not just in their job description. Um, and then I would say even on top of that, investing the time to get your the way you structure your internal team as well as third parties is like the whole game or is a big part of the game. And it's like pieces on a chessboard, right? Cause there's so there's infinite ways you can infinite permutations of, of setups. You can insource or outsource, you can build or buy anything. And so many of my learnings over, over the, the years have been, what should we build versus buy? And if we want to build it, 
how do we want to build it and how do we invest our time in, in building it? Um, so I guess just like investing in internal skill development, but uh, like design, have internal design capabilities, have basic internal legal know-how, mm-hmm. um, have, like, I, I think a lot of people are sort of trigger happy on outsourcing stuff too early. And so they find themselves trapped because they don't actually know all that much, technically speaking. Sure. They, they, they're a project manager and maybe a good one, but they, they get caught because they don't have the skills. And then therefore they don't, A, don't know how to evaluate external parties. And then B, if shit hits the fan, they don't know how to step in the slack. Yeah. Right. So building redundancies is important too. So anyway, like that's a long-winded way of saying build, building, investing in building internal skills and dynamism in the team. That's a great one. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on to in saying, you know, having some technical know-how of these things, you know, not just running straight to outsourcing everything. If you can understand kind of how to get around, I've heard that similar theme from a lot of founders as well is like, you don't want to be so far removed that you don't understand even what's going on. I'll have to go back and read that post too. It's um, a topic I've been really interested in. Um, well, it, was, it, was, it was on Phil Knight because he, he just hired uh, lawyers and accountants. This mm. whole thought was like, there's no school for shoes. There's no sh- school where it's like school, shoe school. <laughs> like doesn't right. exist. So, okay, sure. if I'm starting a shoe company, like I just want to hire people who are, can figure it out and they're like generalist pluses, like they can pick up skills for whatever reason, lawyers and accountants for him were, were that. Hey, there's something there with that, I think. Um, but that's uh, that's really interesting, man. I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to go take a look further at that. My last question for you, um, and something that's really fascinated me about entrepreneurship is the idea of this founder-led brand um, and how it can be an amazing asset for growing a company for many reasons. Um, I don't think enough entrepreneurs are really tapping into this, uh, but I think you've done a great job of sharing your story on social and your learnings and both in, you know, CPG space, but entrepreneurship in general. Um, I'm curious if you could maybe speak to what sort of impact do you think sharing your story and being, you know, on channels like LinkedIn has maybe done for IQ bar um, and just your overall entrepreneurial journey. I had another post about this, which is, I think a lot about second, third, and fourth order benefits. So like ostensibly sharing your story does nothing for you because nothing actually happens right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And you kind of seems like you're shouting into the void for a while. And then slowly people become emotionally it's impossible to not become emotionally attached to someone telling their story, even if it's not all that good of a story or they're not all that good of a writer or talker or whatever. It's just like impossible. You want to root for that person who's shouting out their story. And over time, it's like a total momentum thing. And over time, more and more ears perk up. And also you get better at telling your story. Mm -hmm. There's momentum in the audience and there's momentum in your skill set. Sure. And then what I what you find is like over time, stuff the good stuff just starts happening. It's hard to like explain, but this is what I mean with like second and third, fourth order 
So it's not as if like you do get people who are customers and they're like, Hey, I like following your story. I want to support you. I just picked up a box of bars or whatever that, that happens. It doesn't happen at huge scale, right? That's not like the, the point, but then like the partnerships and advice and like contacts, like you'll, you'll get in, in the same digital room as someone you have no business being in, in the room with mm-hmm. or some like, you don't really have cold intros anymore because everyone kind of knows who you are, even if they don't know you. They're like, oh, he's that guy or that gal. Like it, it just it greases the wheel for like any interpersonal thing you do or want to do in, in the industry. And it's very hard to like value that. It's, uh, it's impossible to value it, but it is very valuable. I can just I can just say and it gets more valuable over time. Um. So it's, it's a tricky one, right? Because I think a lot of people are like, I want to go viral on TikTok and then I want to see the sales from that. And like, it just doesn't work like that. And so I don't know, it's, it's, I'm, it's a ongoing experiment, right? We might talk in six months and I'm like, yeah, if I had spent all that time, whatever, running events or trying to get this new retailer, I think it would have had more impact. Maybe, I, I don't know, but it's it's been helpful thus far. That's really fascinating to hear you kind of talk through that. Um, I think one thing I've seen, um, yeah, I mean, like a lot of like the partnership stuff or I've heard founders who are being online sharing their story, I've gotten into like Walmart, into Whole Foods, into Sprouts, like sharing their journey and, and what's going on or um, you know, even raising capital as well and opening up doors there and getting a seat at the table that they thought they had no business at or maybe it was going to take way longer, I think, as well. Um, I think about myself, too, like even just a few years ago, like when I started sharing my journey around, you know, I'm super into like SMS, like I was a, a brand side market before I came into software and sharing my journey opened up so many doors and people that I've met and let me a long way. So I feel like long winded way also of just saying like you never kind of know where it's going to take you. But to your point as well, like it's not going to be, hey, I'm going to post them and tomorrow I'm going to start to see all these benefits. It might take some time or it might be that second, third, fourth kind of benefit kind of that you're talking about as well. So um, I love that, man. I, I think, um, you know, it's something that as I kind of learned about you and your content that I was starting to kind of see, I'm like, hey, like what's going on here? He's got this really unique take on things. So um, I was really glad I got to talk to you today, man, and kind of learn a little bit more share with our audience as well. Um, and before we wrap up, last thing I want to ask you was where can folks go if they want to get in touch with you or IQ bar, want to pick up some for themselves. Like what, what link should we go to? Yeah. So eat IQ is our website. E A T I Q B A R.com. And we're on Amazon. If you buy us on Amazon, leave a review, please. Um, and then, yeah, we're in Walmart, um, Sprouts, Wegmans, Kroger going into HEB shortly here. Nice. Going into Costco shortly. Very cool. A lot, a lot of fun stuff around the corner. A lot of fun stuff. We'll link out to all that in the show notes. Um, but Will, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much for your time and for your generosity with sharing your knowledge. Um, always welcome back on the show and wishing you the best of luck in 2023 and beyond, man. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks for having me.